The Truth News Network. Let's see. Trillions spent, thousands of lies published, businesses destroyed, families driven into bankruptcy, even the innocent jailed without trial, without charge. And all of it rooted in lies. Lies. Well, let the healing begin with the balm of truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And your voice of truth is Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. If you didn't, if you're anxious about your week, many of us start weeks off just kind of thinking, man, what else bad could happen to me and my family, my business? What could possibly make it worse? Well, I don't know. But I've got an answer for how to push through this. Do it together. Do it with somebody you love. Make a pact. And then do something kind of unique for many people. Ask God to help you. That's right. God's out there. You'll remember this song, but you'll probably not remember the words. This is Michael McDonald. He's a Christian brother, and he believes God's right there for him, me, and you.
James Ingram, along with one of my favorite all-time singers, Michael McDonald, great Christian brothers, and uh, great message in that song. He's going to be there. God's going to be there. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. I did. I needed a recovery weekend. For those of you that were here on Friday, you uh, you found out I had a little voice problem. It had a lot to do with spending 22, 23 hours on a jet coming back from Harai, Zimbabwe. It's hard to say those two words for me, back to back. Anyway, I uh, breathed the air of 300 of my closest friends <laughs> for about 16 hours. And of course, everything they breathed out, I breathed in. But hey, prayer, a Celestone shot, <laughs> I'm in great shape for Monday to face the week. Man, can you believe there are so many moving parts in your world today? Everywhere. I don't care what your particular personal circumstances are. If you put all those together in the context of what's going on around us, I don't see how we all make it through a day. Everywhere you look, somebody's got an opinion that is opposite of yours on every issue, not just one or two or three, but on every issue. And militants has become the tool of the left. Now, used to just get ugly. Uh, let me, uh, I chuckled this morning. Mike Johnson, my congressman, good friend of ours, good friend of this show, he was in a committee hearing, I guess on Thursday or Friday, and there's an African-American woman that represents the Virgin Islands in Congress in the House. Now, it's not a state, but it's a territory, so they get a seat. And she, I can't even remember her name, but what caught me uh, caught my eye was on a YouTube thing. They were having a hearing, and Congressman Johnson uh, did a point of order, and the chairman recognized him, and he just wanted to enter in a letter that had been sent, I guess, weeks ago by Louisiana's Attorney General, Jeff Landry, and he wanted it put in the record. This woman went crazy. She said, another thing you have hidden from us, we don't have that in front of us, and the chairman, Jim Jordan, said, well, it's point of order. It's in writing. It'll be in the record. And so Mike Johnson got up from behind him as as he was talking. Mike Johnson behind uh, uh, the chairman and walked over and gave a copy of the letter to the woman. And then he walked back to his seat to continue the hearing. She got up and walked over and threw the sheet of paper, that Jeff Landry letter, back in front of Mike Johnson it was like junior high school. Na-na-na-boo-boo. These people are supposed to be running our nation. And you have little spats like that over something as trivial as that? Where, oh where, are these people's priorities? And I'm not just talking about Democrats. I'm not at all. We're playing games with the lives of every American in D.C., and it becomes more about government and less about the people. Me, I'm sick of it. But let me tell you one thing I've realized. I'm not going to let those circumstances, which I have no control over, whatever they are, my personal, my local government, my state government, my federal government, I'm not going to let those dominate my thinking. Even my own personal issues, health, family, 
you can you can repeat echo what I'm saying because you're in the same boat I am. Your plates are full. My plate's full. And instead of opting for desperation, I made a commitment over the weekend. I'm just going to give it all to God. I can't fix it all. I can't handle all of this. So why should I make myself responsible to get it done? I can do what I can do and nothing more. Of course, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me, and I believe it. But it's not talking about I can do all things for everybody in the world. <laughs> it's it's the things that I want to do for God that God lays on my heart to do. And that means to take care of the widows and the orphans, to look around and recognize those that are less fortunate than us and lend a helping hand or a handout. Wow. Just when you think it's bad and nobody could have it worse than you have it, look around. Get outside your world. There are a lot of people that are worse off than you. When I was in Harai, Zimbabwe, as the driver was taking me to the airport, he wanted to take me through a part of town I hadn't seen yet. This is the capital city of Zimbabwe, 16 million people. And we looked at about a 20-square-block area of downtown, and it was the most horrible living conditions I have ever seen anywhere on earth that I've been. There were, I guess, maybe four or five sections between buildings, even if you can call them buildings. They were just tin shacks that they put together. And people were working out of these. They had goods they were selling. They were making things. But it was filthy. And about every 100 yards, there was a section, maybe 20 feet by 20 feet square. And it was full of nothing but garbage and human waste and refuge. Downtown... Harare, Zimbabwe, and people in the thousands were just meandering around, screaming, hollering, talking to each other. And in the middle of that, they had about a block that were selling food, vegetables, and meat, hanging outside. In the capital city of Zimbabwe, you think we have problems? Oh, my gosh. Think about living in that. So let's get down to business today. We've got a lot of business we're going to take care of. And we all know special counsel John Durham put out his report on the FBI's disinformation campaign on Russia and Trump. So it comes out, President Biden pushes forward with his efforts to continue to control speech online. That's right. You remember a year ago, his team tried to set up that disinformation governance board? Well, thankfully, members of Congress woke up and wouldn't let it happen. But despite it failing, unfortunately, it sparked a trend for our president with multiple similar executive officers that are just cropping up. Nobody's noticed, like the Foreign Malign Influence Center, FMIC. That comes under the Director of National Intelligence. Think about that. We have a new foreign Malign, M-A-L-I-G-N, Influence Center. Every American got to be alarmed by the Biden administration's pushes on multiple fronts, from the regulatory state to the surveillance regime, to expand its what they call oversight of mine and your constitutionally protected civil liberties. But this effort 
it seems to be less focused on safeguarding us. And it's more about exerting control over us and building control by the government of the American people. Any government agency that determines the merits of American speech is dangerous. Our forefathers gave us the very First Amendment, and what it says is the government cannot abridge what you say and who you say it to. Our greatest threat to prosperity as a nation, it's not coming from China or Russia or anywhere outside. It's a loss of trust among people in institutions. This danger lies in the potential emergence of a two-tiered justice system. You've heard me say it here many times. I think we're already in one. What are the two? One for the party in power and one for everybody else. And that'll change if the power and when the power in Congress and government tilts the other way. This two-tiered system, it's already rearing its head every day. If the cause aligns with the Biden administration's agenda, everything is okay. Everything from defacing cities to intimidating Supreme Court justices. The most egregious examples of this administration's sensorial instincts, censoring everybody, can be seen in the government's extensive effort to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story. Remember this, the FBI had that laptop in 2019. Nobody heard about it until later in 2020, nine months after the FBI got it and had sat on it. That's when the New York Post issued that story about Hunter's laptop right before the 2020 election. The same goes for the COVID-19 lab leak theory. It was initially dismissed as conspiracy. Remember Dr. Fauci in front of those press conference, they called it, what did they call it? The COVID pandemic relief team or whatever it was. And he just poo-pawed any suggestion that this was a lab leak. Instead of allowing the American public to look at information and make up our own minds, this administration has stepped in to bury or to shape these and many other stories every day. I got to be honest. Somebody in the administration is pretty sharp because they pick it up. And when they begin, their mantra is, we're going to find ways to suppress dissenting thoughts. If that's thought number one, there's somebody in his administration that's catching them all and putting a big circle around them saying, we got to kill this. We can't let this live. We need a government that respects our rights, our values, our freedoms, and stands firm on our principles. What do we do? Well, one's in the courts. We're the protections of the First Amendment. That's where we litigate them. When states like California enacted laws to criminalize what they call inappropriate speech on websites, a company called NetChoice brought legal action to block it. That was in California. Same principles applied when similar things happened in Texas and Florida, tried to force websites to host lawful but awful speech. 
Another solution, the free market. When left to its own devices, business competition, it's the number one thing that has made this country what it is economically. It's a powerful regulator. If we let the capital free market system run our economy. Why? Because customers, customers, people who decide we're going to buy this product, we're going to buy this service, and it gives strong feedback to the people that are bringing ideas, gadgets, processes to the voters, to the people. Principle's the same. If a business does something objectionable, consumers vote with their feet. Just like when New Coke emerged, remember? Consumers switched to Pepsi. Consumers have the power to enforce accountability and to reward or punish businesses based on the business's actions. The role of government should be to facilitate that process, make it better, make it freer, not to undermine it. Congress is another solution. I'm going to I'm going to pause for just a second and, and swallow. I got a, I got a frog in my throat. Hang on. Congress did the Protecting Free Speech from Government Interference Act. And it makes clear for government employees that their coercion of social media for political purposes only is illegal. Judicial interventions to strike down any unconstitutional actions or positive steps, but they're not enough. Congressional investigations into this influence peddling by the White House, that's a beginning. But this level of scrutiny has got to be applied across the entire executive branch. There's a, a rule called the Holman Rule that Congress should invoke. It empowers Congress to cut the pay of specific federal employees who put their political self-interest above serving you and me. Our founding fathers envisioned a government that would protect individual rights, not trample on them. They instituted checks and balances to prevent the kind of overreach we're watching play out today. And they're trying to normalize it. Everywhere you look, in every piece of media, when government cracks down, they're wanting to make it okay. They're trying to condition us that, oh, there's no there there. That strategy stifles innovation, hampers growth, shakes the very foundation of our democracy. A serious threat to America is not just China, not just Russia or Iran, but a loss of faith in our institutions. I know public service requires public trust, no doubt about it. The corruption within our institutions has got to be stopped. Our commitment to serving the American people above all else must be reaffirmed by our elected officials. You can't do it. I can't do it. They've got to do it. They have the biggest microphone. They have access to every type of media 
and our elected officials and appointed bureaucratic officials and government have got to stand up and say enough is enough. We're going to start dealing with facts. Facts. Wow. Would that be a switch or what? (laughs) But we got to get back to that. Our nation can't sustain a government that goes out rogue and just does anything and everything that it wants to do. And they just dominate the American people. We're the people. They're just one person that number among the people. And their vote doesn't count any more than mine or your vote. They used to believe that. Today, I don't know, not so much. Well, as you can tell, I'm uh, struggling a little bit with the voice again. It's not as bad as it as it sounds. So if you can tolerate me, we'll make it work today. I want, I just for a minute, here's what I want you to do with me. I want you to look back and think about what's happened in the last five years in our government. You know, during that five years, Donald Trump was, I guess, six years, let's call it. President for four of those years, he, he did a lot of good things, many, many good things. Yeah, he had problems. He had plenty of opposition. I will never forget what happened even before Donald Trump was inaugurated. January, I guess it was the 16th, 17th of January in 2017. And that's when they really began to ramp up the Russia collusion, Trump campaign, lies. That's what they were, lies. Now keep in mind what just happened a week and a half ago. The John Durham report came out. Former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Do you remember what she was doing even in the election cycle and then right after the election cycle where Trump beat Hillary. Remember that? She went absolutely nuts. And now that the Durham report has come out, she won't talk to the media about any of the stuff that she said along with her fellow Democrats back then. John Durham's report showed some really glaring missteps taken by the Department of Justice and the FBI when it launched the very beginning of the Trump-Russia investigation. So, there are a lot of people that have been trying to get her in front of a camera and a microphone. Now, she's no longer the House Speaker, and she wasn't then. She didn't get the speakership until the midterms in 2018. She was just the majority leader, or excuse me, the minority leader in that in that House of Representatives. Paul Ryan was the House Speaker for those first two years of the Trump campaign. So I'm putting that in context. So there are a lot of people that had been trying to get it, Pelosi in front of a camera so they could ask her about the things that she said that day. January 17th, 2017. Now, in the context of what Special Counsel John Durham's report showed, which was there was no Russia collusion with the Trump campaign. There was Russia disinformation that was created, funded, and launched by Hillary Clinton's campaign along with the Democrat National Committee. 
Pelosi, I guess, thinks that once something's in your rearview mirror, like six years, nobody's going to remember. Here's Nancy Pelosi. Before Donald Trump was inaugurated, the week before, in January of 2017, after he was elected president. Here's Nancy. Uh, This week, we saw cold, hard evidence of the Trump campaign, indeed the Trump family, eagerly intending to collude, possibly, with Russia, a hostile foreign power, to influence American elections. In the month, again, as we celebrate the courage of our founders, Republicans in Congress have become enablers of the Trump-Russia assault on our democracy. After these latest revelations, it's becoming clear we have suffered a desecration of our democracy not seen since Watergate. Speaker Ryan must allow a vote on an outside independent commission to get to the bottom of the Trump campaign's role in Russia's assault on our democracy and prevent Putin from ever doing it again immediately. Outside independent commission. It's not just about what happened in the past. It's to prevent it from happening again. There you go. She became House Speaker two years later. And here we are six weeks later, six years later, and we just find out Every part of it was poppycock. It meant nothing. It was full of lies. And it was government manipulating the thoughts of the American people, seeding them with lies. And all along, they knew it. All along, they knew it. Pelosi called, too, for then-Speaker Paul Ryan to establish a commission to get to the bottom of the Trump campaign's role in Russia's assault on our democracy. And she tweeted this in May, just a couple of months later. Our election, she's talking about the Hillary election, our election was hijacked. There is no question. And the American people, they weren't getting any face-to-face information, no input from the DOJ or the FBI, no public pronouncements. It was full-on assault. We're going to destroy Donald Trump, his administration, and even his family. They went after every family member. So let's fast forward a little bit. In June of 2020, Pelosi continued to push that collusion narrative by saying that all roads lead to Putin when it comes to President Donald Trump. She said, I don't know what the Russians have on the president, politically, personally, or financially. Now, Durham said his investigation into the Trump collusion probe also showed that senior FBI personnel displayed a serious lack of analytical rigor towards the information they received, especially information received from politically affiliated persons and entities. This information, in part, it triggered and sustained crossfire hurricanes contributed to the subsequent need for a special counsel, Robert Mueller. In particular, this is Durham's report, in particular, there was significant reliance on investigative leads provided or funded directly or indirectly by Trump's political opponents. Hmm, Who might that be? Adam Schiff? 
You remember the radio team? We played it on this show numerous times. It was actually two morning show radio hosts disguised their voices and called Schiff's office, got him on the phone, and they told him they had all kinds of evidence, pictures of Donald Trump peeing on that bed in the hotel in Moscow with those prostitutes, that he was in the tank, and Schiff just swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. And even after the Durham report was released, Schiff tripled and quadrupled down on his and Nancy's lies about collusion between Russia and Donald Trump. The department did not adequately examine or question these materials and the motivations of those providing them. Even when at about the same time, the director of the FBI and others learned of significant and potentially contrary intelligence. That's from Durham's report. Trump, I know it'll probably shock you, but Donald Trump has called for former FBI Director James Comey, who Pelosi called a great man in July of 2016, and other Democrats involved in pushing Russian collusion to pay a heavy price in response to the Durham report. This crap, it continues. And when I say crap, I'm saying that in the fondest, nicest way I possibly can. But you know what? If it quacks and waddles, it's a duck every time. And this is nothing but in the tank, heavy-handed, authoritarian government from one political party that doesn't give a rip about the voters of this nation, the legal citizens of this nation, and the truth. And by God, we have got to wake up as Americans and understand they're trying to take every liberty guaranteed you and me in the Constitution. They're trying to take ownership so they have unilateral control with the consensus of Americans who are just too busy to pay attention and to make right choices. We got to be careful, folks. We've got to be careful. We've got to be prayerful. We got to find the good, the right, the righteous, and expose the evil. Six years, you and I have been through this puddle of lies that swallowed up all that was good that could have happened during the Trump four years, but didn't because of all of the seeding of lies that were coming from people like Nancy Pelosi. Oh, and mainstream media. In just a moment, you're going to hear from the weakest morning show in cable news on MSNBC. You know which one I'm talking about. They're going to tell you What a great president and somebody that's on the ball way better than Donald Trump was. (laughs) Whole lot more ahead. Stay here. 
25 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began. Nobody puts baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dance. Yeah. Eight celebrities compete to become the real Baby and Johnny. Where my Johnny is? Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5. Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. Locked and loaded with Truth Ammo. Taking aim at the problem, it's Dan Newman. Well, just listening to that Gatorade commercial over the weekend, I heard a report. You know, Michelle Obama has gotten into the energy drink, and she's got a brand new energy drink that's out that they're declaring is the be-all, see-all, everything you ever need to do to take care of uh, the minerals, the good things that you need in your body without using sugar. Oh my gosh, you know that evil thing, sugar. You know that natural thing, sugar. Instead, what do they do? They fill it up with all kinds of chemicals that taste sweet. Testing was done, and over the weekend I heard the results and the content of Michelle Obama's new energy drink, they say is almost exactly the same as any diet soft drink that's out there. But you know what? This factual stuff. Who cares? We want to make the world what we can imagine. And nothing's too extreme. If we can think of it, then it's okay. It's like that woman dressed as a cat. <laughs> we played that for you a few weeks ago. She goes to a school board meeting. And she starts talking about the insanity of uh, people just being able to get up and say, hey, I'm a whatever, and everybody's just supposed to bow and say, oh, okay, you just go be whatever you want to be and we'll honor it even though it has nothing to do with facts. The soundbite was called I Am a Cat. Let me do this. Give me 10 seconds. Hang on, hang on. Many of you probably weren't here that day and you didn't hear it. So it's a mom and she dresses up as a cat. And I'll just let her tell you the rest of it herself. And I am a cat. Meow, meow. I'm not a woman dressed as a cat. I am a cat. By show of hands, I'm curious, uh, how many of you believe and confess that I'm a cat? 
Great. I am, by show of hands, I'm curious, how many of you believe that your child or a child from this school would believe that I'm actually a cat? No one. You are right. Why? Because you are not stupid, and these children are not stupid. Truth prevails over imagination. Reality exists. Discernment is innate and something we are biologically wired to have. One look at me, and you know this to be true. I am a woman posing as a cat. You may also think correctly that if I truly believe I'm a cat, I have a mental disorder. If I suffer from a mental disorder, and if I'm unable to discern reality, am I safe to be around children? Would you put me in charge of making critical decisions about the safety and well-being of children and about the direction of their education when I cannot even discern truth from fiction? Confession. I'm not actually a cat, guys, just because I say I am. You've not agreed to or committed to addressing me as a cat simply because I demand it. No tail, whiskers, or outfit makes me a cat, just like no lipstick, high heels, or long hair makes him a man, a woman. It is just as biologically impossible for me to become a cat as it is for a man to be a woman. And you have one job as members of this school board, and it's defined as this. School board members are responsible for broad, forward-thinking, minute analysis and decisive action in all areas that affect students and staff in their schools. I ask you, do you believe that the actions of a grown man playing dress-up as a woman affects the students and staff positively or negatively? A public school is not the place for social experiments in altered realities or gender ideologies. It is not the place to celebrate a grown man with a mental illness, dressing as a woman, and teaching kids lies. Children come to school to learn facts and truths about reality, including unchanging biological truths about science and nature, not to learn that they can change biological realities and become anything they want in the name of diversity. What you're actually doing is worse than just lying to our kids. You're forcing them to be participants in your lie, in your charade. You're forcing them to deny what they see with their eyes, and you're forcing them to speak lies. I ask you again, am I a cat? And if you say no, then the mindset must be aligned with your discernment across the board. By allowing a falsity to be displayed and paraded around the school, you teach children that truth is not existent, facts are not real, and biology is a lie. You fail at your job, your only job, by confusing children and teaching them untruths and to coddle a grown man playing dress up as a woman. If you were to address me as a cat right now, it's as ridiculous as when you say Miss Bixler and a grown man's voice comes thundering over the... Thank you. <laughs> it speaks for itself, doesn't it? Oh, my gosh. That's the world we find ourselves living in. When you get up every morning, know that there are people out there that legitimately think it's okay for them to identify as something they're not and then expect everybody me, you, and everybody on earth. When we look at them, we just let them be whatever they want to be. And it doesn't matter. Can you believe the millions of people on this planet that believe that? We're way down the road towards nationwide insanity. The Biden administration is trying to normalize this. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Now, speaking of Biden, New polls just came out just a few minutes ago. And the president is facing some sagging public approval numbers. And it's not just one particular thing. It's across a host of critical sectors in our government as he's preparing to launch his very own 2024 re-election campaign. 
Just 30 minutes ago, a poll comes out, shows just 33% of American adults say they approve of Biden's handling of our economy. Only 24% say national economic conditions are in good shape. The Associated Press Center for Public Affairs Research carried out the polling and then released the very tepid approval numbers. These came out ahead of Biden's return early morning from a visit to Hiroshima in Japan for that G7 summit where Russia's invasion in Ukraine was front and center for the president rather than what's going on back here in your life and my life. And that hacked off a bunch of voters. Some voters, I'm one of them, even feel Biden, age 80, should face impeachment proceedings because of the way he's mishandled the office of the presidency. Biden's up against strong headwinds even before he steps up to make a single announcement asking us to help him go back to the White House. Here's what the AP says. I'm going to quote the Associated Press, which I never do. Quote, public approval of Biden's handling of the economy remains low in a time of high inflation, a difficult housing market, concerns about a potential government debt default. American opinion is also gloomy about his efforts, Biden's efforts on gun policy, and of course, immigration. Only 31% of us say they approve of the president's performance on these hot-button issues. Overall, 40% say they approve of the way Biden's doing his job, similar to where his approval rating has stood for much of the past year and a half. 40%, that means more than half of Americans don't approve of the job he's doing. But he's got more to worry about. He underperforms on the economy, even among Democrats. 61% approve of him on the issue. 75% for his job overall. That's his own party. Despite Democrats feeling less than enthusiastic about our economy on his watch, they continue to be more likely than the GOP to say the country's headed in the right direction. Only 36% versus 7%. Or to rate the economy as good. 41% versus 7%. And we were told just a little bit ago, right at their time, he's going to resume negotiations on our debt ceiling issue today with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. June defaults deadline getting really, really close. You realize next Monday, a week from today, is Memorial Day. What does that mean? That's the last Monday in May. Debt limit, we are told, will expire on June 1. So there's nothing like taking it all the way to the end of the road, right? Just got off the phone with the president while he's out of the country. House Speaker McCarthy tweeted this. My position has not changed. Washington cannot continue to spend money we don't have at the expense of children and grandchildren. This was yesterday, McCarthy said. Tomorrow, he and I will meet in person to continue negotiations. What the heck is going to happen with this? Do you think Biden's going to let us go into default? That would be his historical legacy as president to be the first and only president to ever default on paying our debts. What debts are we speaking about? Typically, it's the interest rates on all the treasury bonds 
that have been sold to prop up the government. That's pretty much what it is. I don't understand why any politician wouldn't purposely get together to get things like this done and negotiate. If we find ourselves with a government that won't do anything unless and until their particular party gains enough power to dominate everybody. Forget about negotiations. Forget about discussing differences and finding consensus on all these issues that are good for you and I. I mean, we're just the people of the United States. These are the folks that are supposed to be in the tank with knowledge, understanding, and desire and willingness to work together even though they disagree on things, find a way to reach middle ground. That's the way they used to do it in D.C. But now, instead of going to the heart of every matter and dealing with stuff to get it fixed when it's broken, instead of just pontificating at each other and throwing out political slams against each other in the media, instead of doing that, why don't we just face facts? You don't have to be a a brilliant individual to look at something and determine if it's factual or not, especially the important things. And of course, what the left want to do, they want to dominate the narrative about everything with their consensus of ideology and just sell it to us and then make us feel like we're fools if we don't just swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Let me give you an example. I'll let you listen. Morning, Joe. Oh, my gosh. You know, they they got to talking over the weekend about what a great president Joe Biden is, his stamina. He never slows down. Listen to what Morning Joe, Mika, and Joe, what they had to say about Biden's work ethic and his commitment to the job as compared to Donald Trump's. There is... No question that there is a tremendous difference, and this is understating it uh, incredibly, uh, between the amount of work that he puts in in a day compared to former President Trump and his executive time. But anyone looking at Joe Biden and seeing what he does in a day, I mean, I know you would be exhausted if you had a schedule and probably would take some days off, or I would. Uh, it looks like the, the left is rallying to defend the president and his vigor. What do you make of it? Stu, you are everywhere all the time. I know you work a long day. Um, (laughs) Listen, here's the thing. Axios had reporting where they cite people who were within the White House or within the president's realm saying, we don't really schedule anything outside of 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. I mean, this is not a guy who is burning the midnight oil at both ends. They'll say he keeps up a great schedule, but add for his age. For his age. Now, I guess you put it in that context. But by the way, he and Donald Trump, are almost the same age. And you look at both of them, you listen to both of them, look at what their days look like, their work weeks. Look at Joe Biden in his work week now as compared to when Donald Trump was in the White There's no comparison. No legitimate, honest person can say that Joe Biden works hard. He doesn't. Remember the big joke? I mean, for months and months and months, when the campaign, when it was going on for the 2020 election, and then subsequent to him being elected and going to work, it was very common in the early stages at noon, they would announce, they'd put out to the media, 
we put the lid on it at 12 noon, sometimes 11 a.m. What that meant was he's not working anymore. He's unavailable. I guess he got one his warm bottle of his sippy cup of warm milk and took a nap. I don't know. But that's an example of what the quote-unquote real media are putting out there. And there are hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of Americans that hear that. They don't question it because it's coming from MSNBC. You know, MSNBC is a cable news show, news department for NBC. They know they know news. They know what they're doing. Americans have got to wake up and start realizing you get what you pay for. There's no secrets. You work hard, you get great results. You don't work hard, you're going to get results. But they're not going to be so great. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. And of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. <laughs> heard that before you deserve to save i know i need you to hear me you deserve to save i deserve to save i mean he has a way of making you feel seen bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at geico.com ready to take your jenga skills to the next level if you are an all-star at building towers and balancing blocks then build up the competition in new jenga maker play in teams to finish first and claim the crown Jenga and new Jenga Maker. Reach the top of your game, each sold separately. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. We design smarter ways to detect motion for emergency dispatch in seconds. We create HD cameras so you can see what's happening in your home from anywhere. All powered by Fast Protect technology, exclusively from Simply Safe for faster police response. Because in here, your safety is the only thing that matters. Advanced home security, 24/7 professional monitoring. There's no safe like Simply Safe. CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CNN. An alphabet soup of lies, myths, and disinformation. For real nutrition, you need a full plate of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Well, guess what? This debt ceiling thing, you know, McCarthy and the president are, they're getting together. We are told sometime today to discuss it. But Democrats themselves are saying, you know what? We may have let this go too far. In fact, a couple of them have said we backed ourselves into this corner. They continue to vent over how they've been forced to negotiate with McCarthy on a potential debt ceiling deal after months of saying they would not consider discussing any kind of compromise. Tim Kaine, senator from Virginia, he said that he regrets the Democrats didn't raise the debt ceiling during the lame duck session back in 2022 before Republicans formally took back the House in January. We talked about that here. I don't understand why they didn't do it. They had total control. Kane said, if I could do one thing different, I was saying it at the time, hey, we got the votes. He said he believes that even the purportedly fiscal hawk Senator Joe Manchin would have backed a clean 
debt ceiling hike. A Politico report follows as Republican leadership has said they're pressing pause on debt limit talks with Biden. Democrats, they're frustrated at being forced to negotiate with McCarthy. They don't like him. And that led many to pursue that very questionable legally question of using the 14th Amendment to raise the debt limit. Jamal Bowman, Democrat of New York, he's the real real big African-American guy, great smile. Remember, he got in Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene's grill on Friday. They got into it outside, and it made national headlines. He's uh, he's very loud. He's very big, very boisterous, trying to think of the nice terms. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, if you know she's very aggressive, she'll speak her mind to anybody and everybody so they kind of get into it. Well, he's a vocal progressive He called on the president to pull out of these negotiations. He said, why are we negotiating? It's just very frustrating. We have backed ourselves into this corner. Another Democrat, Lou Correa from California, who's a moderate, he said the negotiations started when we lost the House. So progressive Democrats, that's far left, led by Representative Premia Jayapal from Washington. She's the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, she proposed the idea of raising the debt ceiling before Republicans took over the House. Nobody listened. What would Joe Manchin have done? Would he have gone for a Democrat-only debt hike late last year? You're speculating about all this hypothetical crap. He added, it always needs to be bipartisan, but when you can't get a bipartisan deal or you have any type of agreement at all, you got to raise the debt ceiling. You just got to. And so Democrats and Biden, they backed themselves into this. Now, what's Joe Biden started to do? He's defending himself in case something bad happens. When he was at this G7 summit yesterday, when they did the press conference, after it was all over, he declared himself blameless if the U.S. defaults on its debt. And he says, and I'm going to quote, MAGA Republicans in Congress are trying to crash the economy to sabotage his re-election bid. And then he demanded the Republicans in the House submit to what he demands. And as this caveat at the end of it all, he said, well, I want to see if the courts would rule the use of that 14th Amendment constitutional to solve debt limit issues. He said, I think we have the authority. The question is, could it be done and invoked in time? June 1 deadline, that's the default date, we're told. Now, we were told that Biden was going to call McCarthy from Air Force One on the flight home from the G7. I haven't heard this morning if that happened. But it's still up there. And it's still being bandied about, and it is an important issue. But it illustrates more than anything how crazily divided our government is and how resistant to working with each other this president and his administration are. That really concerns me. So let's look back a little bit at what happened last week. Those whistleblowers, FBI, those whistleblowers that came forward, the FBI 
the day before these former FBI officials, whistleblowers came out, the FBI revoked their security clearances the day before they testified. And why would they do that? There's only one reason they would do it, sending a message. We're not going to take this crap. Anybody that works for the FBI, if you decide to go public with anything you learn from the inside, you're going to be tagged for the rest of your life. Wherever you go, whatever job you go to, it's going to show up in your federal record that your security clearance while you were in the FBI, you were still in the FBI, was pulled. But guess who's they didn't pull? You remember those 51 signatories on that page that dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop, that letter they put out there, all these former CIA and FBI officials, even the head, former head of CIA. Oh, that laptop, that's Russian disinformation. Bullface lies. Every one of them, all 51. Each of them still has their security clearance in the FBI. You don't think politics is dirty? (laughs) Let me just tell you something else about your FBI. They obtained financial records of Americans from Bank of America without any legal process whatsoever. This was right after the January 6, 2021 riot. They just went out and got it. Bank of America said, sure, gave them. The report containing allegations from whistleblowers is a subject of this select committee hearing on Thursday. Just like FBI whistleblowers Garrett O'Boyle and Stephen Friend, retired FBI supervisory intelligence analyst George Hill provided the committee with detailed allegations of FBI civil liberties abuses. Specifically, here's what he testified to. Following the events at the Capitol on January 6th, this is a guy that was doing it at the FBI. Right after the January 6th, Bank of America gave the FBI's Washington field office a list of individuals who had made transaction in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area with a Bank of America credit or debit card between January 5th and 7th. He also testified that individuals who had previously purchased a firearm with a Bank of America product were elevated to the top of the list provided by Bank of America. You know what that is? That's freaking illegal for them to do that. They cannot legally get or ask for or be given access to any personal thing on any American without a warrant. And they did it hundreds of times. This FBI, Christopher Ray's FBI, did that to Americans. It's like, oh, we know everybody that is a conservative that was in the D.C. area those days. Forget about the fact this is the United States government's headquarters and people go to D.C. every day from all over the world to see the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Memorial, just to see the Capitol. But if you happen to be a Bank of America customer 
and you went to a drive-in and you went and bought a hamburger and used your credit card to pay for it, the fact that you transacted, Bank of America gave all that to the FBI. And the FBI, of course, when they got all that information, they've been investigating you. I'm serious. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is factual. Welcome to our government, big government, egregious government world. Now let me blow your mind. What do you think our our foreign partners around the world thought about what was going on there? I'll give you one example. They didn't like it. When this Russia collusion probe was going on, British intelligence found that it was so absurd. And they found that, reached that conclusion on their own, just looking at what? Evidence. They stopped helping our FBI. This just came out. British intelligence, they expressed their skepticism about the FBI's investigation into that Trump campaign alleged ties to Russia thing back in 2016. Eventually, they got so concerned about it, they stopped coordinating, coordinating, working with the FBI. And this, again, information came out with the release of Durham's 300-plus page report on the origins of the Trump-Russia collusion probe last week, a week ago today. Intelligence officials over in the UK, they shared Durham's assessment contemporaneously, basically. This is what we thought all along. Now, in the report, Durham highlighted an exchange between one intelligent official and the FBI's legal attache office in London in which the latter relayed concerns about the flimsiness of the evidence, so-called evidence that was presented to justify it, especially as it related to former Trump campaign aides George Papadopoulos and Carter Page. Dude, are we telling them, British Intelligence Service, everything we know? Or is there more to this? That's all we have. Not holding anything back was the reply. In other words, you don't got anything. (laughs) We're not going to do this. We're not going to go down that road. There's no evidence. Leave it alone. So the FBI, their office over in London, went on to tell the inspection division that in talks with the matter with a senior British intelligence service, one official. The official was openly skeptical, said the FBI's plan for an operation made absolutely no sense. And they just pulled out. And their concern, it escalated throughout 2016, 2017, eventually resulted in a UK intelligence officer refusing to help the FBI any further. The Brits' concern escalated. It just got worse. And they bailed. They just said, this is crazy. Think about the resources that we lost here. Doing those crazy, nutty things. All to pontificate about their anger, hatred, and disdain for Donald Trump and Everybody that had anything to do with him. Do you know how many lives they destroyed of people that worked in the Trump circle? Look at what the Trump family members did. They all left. 
They couldn't handle New York. They'd been there, the boys, had been there their entire lives. That's where they grew up. They left. They all live in Florida now just to get away from the furor of the far-left attacks 24-7 on the family members. Some of the nicest people, if you've ever been around them, if you've ever listened to them in interviews, yeah, they get upset because of all the lies that were spewed for all those years, and they're still doing it. Adam Schiff's still out there saying he colluded with Russia. No evidence of it. But facts don't matter, and that should be the concern for all of us. When, when the truth doesn't matter at all anymore, what do we have? What good do we have? What can we do with and for each other when nobody wants to listen to facts? Now let me drop a little truth bomb on you. Should I wait through the break? No, I'm going to go ahead. Now, this is kind of scary. We've lost a 30-ton shipment of explosive chemicals from a train traveling from Wyoming to California. 30 tons of explosive chemicals disappeared. That's pretty scary. So officials are looking into the disappearance of that 30-ton shipment of ammonium nitrate. That's a chemical used to make both fertilizer and explosives. Now, remember the Mura Federal Building in uh, Oklahoma City? Remember back 20 years or so? It was ammonium nitrate that blew that building apart and killed all those people. So a rail car loaded with 60,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate from explosives company Dino Nobel left Cheyenne, Wyoming, April 12th, headed to California. But two weeks after leaving Cheyenne, the rail corps arrived at a rail stop in the Mojave Desert, and it was found to be empty. This ammonium nitrate, it's used as an agricultural fertilizer to manufacture first aid products like coal packs and in explosives for the mining and construction industries. It was that explosive use of ammonium nitrate. 1995, Oklahoma City bombing killed 168 people. And at that time, was the worst terror attack in U.S. history. There have been incidents of supplies of the chemical exploding when it's not stored correctly. So the National Fire Protection Association says that because ammonium nitrate can accelerate fires and explosions, it can present a significant explosive threat, but it needs another element to destabilize it first. Dino Nobel, this company, said that it thought the chemical, which was in pellet form, fell from the covered hopper car it was transported on, similar to what coal is transported on. The rail car was sealed when it left the Cheyenne facility, the seals were still intact when it got to Saltdale. That's the place out in the Mojave Desert. The initial assessment is that a leak through the bottom gate on the rail car may have developed in transit. That means there's a lot of tons of ammonium nitrate on some railway tracks between Cheyenne and the Mojave Desert in California. That, my friends, is a little spooky. I'll never forget that blast. 
when I heard the story, we were actually up in Arkansas going somewhere in a van and we heard it on the radio and we listened to it as it just unfolded all the news. 168 people killed in that ammonium nitrate bomb incident, 1995. You just never know, do you? Well, in case you just joined us, I know it's Monday, everybody's getting your week started. Tuesday, every Tuesday is when our buddy Steve Baker, wherever he is on the globe, he gives us a call in our second hour of the show and we break down a lot of different things that are out there. He is a investigative journalist, investigative photographer, and he's plugged in. He was all over the January 6th debacle when that all came down in 2021. Tomorrow, he's going to be on earlier with us. There's another trial going on. He's going to be in testifying. I believe he's going to be testifying at a trial tomorrow, a little bit later. So he's going to join us at the top of the show at exactly 9 a.m. Central Time tomorrow morning. So if you want to catch him live, make sure you remember it's not at 10 o'clock on Tuesday. It's going to be at 9 o'clock just to accommodate his schedule in this trial going on back in D.C. We're not anywhere close to being finished here today. Got a bunch more. Back after this. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, What is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Join the Truth News Net Army of the Informed. Be on the cutting edge when a new story is posted at TNN. Sign up at the homepage of truthnewsnet.org. We never share, we never sell your email. The only thing we're selling is the truth. Join the TNN family today. We're growing from Bangor, Maine to Saigon, from Berlin to Moscow, from Rio Linda to Krakow, Poland, from Sevilla, Spain to McAllen, Texas, and Caribou Landing, Canada, from Salzburg, Zurich, and Milan to Shreveport, Louisiana, and all points in between. TNN has been named the single most important source of conservative American political news by the University of Moscow. It's regularly heard in Washington, D.C., and every major your capital on every continent. Be part of this mass migration from propaganda to truth. Sign up today. Thanks for being a part of our worldwide family. TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. Come in for workout gear. Leave feeling empowered. Come in for snack time. Leave more fulfilled. Because when you shop at Target, you leave with what you value most, like healthy foods for your family and brands that lift our communities. At Target, the things that matter are always within reach. What we value most shouldn't cost more. I know President Biden is going through some tough times right now. I mean, he's considering his life. He's 80 years old. I don't know what it feels like to be 80. I'm uh, more than a decade away from that. But 
it's looming for people like me and for some of you people out there. I know James Posey, I think, is listening in this morning. We've been close friends for many, many, many years. We played music together. He's a great drummer. I'm a keyboard guy. We played every Sunday for years and years. And I was just thinking about it a little bit ago, looking back when we were doing that. I couldn't imagine ever reaching 60, let alone 70 or 80. So I know President Biden is dealing with what's he going to do for the rest of his life. Well, what do the Americans say about that? Another bad poll comes out for President Biden. Four in 10 likely voters, 40%, believe Congress should begin impeachment proceedings on President Biden. This is coming from a Rasmussen report from late last week. 42% of likely voters say that Congress should begin impeachment proceedings against Biden. 45% said lawmakers should not. While most Republicans, 70% think Congress should, and most Democrats, 71%, believe Congress should not, independents remain relatively divided. 40% of independents, they don't believe Congress should begin impeachment, compared to 39% who believe they should do so. Further, 53% across the board think it's at least somewhat likely that since he took office, Biden has committed, quote, high crimes and misdemeanors that would justify Congress impeaching him. 53% believe that. Of those, 38% said it's very likely. Notably, more than one-third of Democrats also think it's at least somewhat likely, as do 48%. 48%. Of independence. Well, Georgian Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, she just picked up the gauntlet, the impeachment gauntlet. And Friday, she filed articles of impeachment against President Biden. It is with the highest amount of solemnity that I announce my intention to introduce articles of impeachment today on the head of this America at Last executive branch that has been working since January 20th, 2021, to systematically destroy this country. The President of the United States, Joseph Robinette Biden. Joe Biden has deliberately compromised our national security by refusing to enforce immigration laws and secure our border allowed approximately 6 million illegals from over 170 countries to invade our country, deprive Border Patrol of the necessary resources and policies sufficient to protect our country. And his administration has willfully refused to maintain operational control as required by the law. There are a lot of people that agree with her. More than 58% than women voters, 48% believe it's likely that Biden has committed high crimes and misdemeanors since he became president. Men are also more likely to favor Congress starting impeachment. Voters under 40, much less likely than their elders to think it's very likely that Biden has committed impeachable offenses as president. But older voters are less likely to think Congress actually is going to pursue impeachment. You know, a lot of people, they don't understand that process. Articles of impeachment must begin in the House of Representatives. Those articles have to be debated. 
Then they take vote after vote on each article. If they reach consensus and vote those articles of impeachment against a sitting president, then those results are sent across to the U.S. Senate, and the Senate decides first if they want to have a trial. They don't have to have an impeachment trial. But for Donald Trump, of course, that happened twice, and there was an impeachment trial, and he was not voted on to be removed from office. For Joe, I I, I just don't have a feeling one way or the other. Um, if anything is going to happen, or if they tried to, or they started in the impeachment process, if it would get legs. Now, this has always been my, my opinion about this. I don't believe in it. I know it's constitutional and all that kind of stuff. But when a country comes to the place where somebody that's been put in an office by the people, supposedly Joe Biden was elected by the people. We all know there were many stolen votes, voting, cheating, but we just don't know how many. We will never know the actual numbers. But nevertheless, he was inaugurated and he is president of the United States. I think it sends a signal that's not a good signal, not just to Americans, but to people all around the world. The United States government can't get their crap together. They refuse to reach consensus. And this president's supposed to be elected by the people to represent the people's ideals, and they can't work out the differences. That's a poor message to send to anybody and everybody that gets it. I mean, moms and dads, husbands and wife, family members, employers, employees. When you have differences, we're all human. We're not all going to be exactly the same in our thinking, our ideologies, our religion. All of those kind of things are separate, as they should be. God created us all, but he didn't create us all to be cookie-cutter versions of the other people. We're supposed to be who we are and just find ways to work together for the common good. That's what's happened here for 240 years. Pretty much on the most part. I mean, we don't agree on everything. But throughout our history, when our lawmakers and members of our executive branch, when they had issues, they would sit down and find some kind of consensus and work through those things. That doesn't happen anymore. Now, let me make it worse for you. What's it going to look like when we don't get any answers on one or two or three or four, any consensus on the important things? What's going to happen? I think we're in those stages right now across the board. I can think of dozens of disagreements that aren't resolved. Why aren't they resolved? Because the parties that are on either side of the issue don't feel it's important enough to get together, get them resolved. So they just leave it hanging out there. The NAACP, I mean, that's a African-American, very supportive organization that through the years has done some really good things for black people in the U.S. But over the weekend, they issued, the NAACP issued shock travel advisory warnings against visiting Florida, then the NAACP is accusing Florida 
of being openly hostile to black and LGBTQ Americans under Governor Ron DeSantis. And of course, DeSantis says, what a joke. Their national board, the NAACP's National Board of Directors, has issued, it's a formal travel advisory now, warning that black and LGBTQ people visiting the state due to government, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis's policies down there. Their statement said Florida is openly hostile toward African Americans, people of color, and LGBTQ plus individuals. And it states the advisory issued on Saturday night by the civil rights group is the way they feel. Before traveling to Florida, please understand that the state of Florida devalues and marginalizes the contributions of and the challenges faced by African Americans and other communities of color. Now, where do they get that? Byron Donnell, I heard an interview about this early, early this morning. He's an African American lawmaker. He's a native of Florida. He lives in Florida. And he just poo-pawed what the NAACP said. He said, you know what? I'm black. When I grew up, there were issues in my life. I pushed through the issues in my life. And I'm paraphrasing the congressman. But I pushed through them. He said, my white friends, they had similar issues. But on the other side, they pushed through. And he said, there is no statewide anti-black anti-LGBTQ plus system being operated by the government. There is racism. There always has been. There always will be. People that are different are not always going to want to respect others with differences. Instead, they just find ways to deal with it, and sometimes dealing with it is just to turn and walk away from it. It's things like what the NAACP did here that really concern me moving forward because those are the people that are supposed to be working to help African Americans in living in the United States to do anything they can do to make it better and to work with people on the other side politically and racially to find ways to make it good for everybody. And yet, all we do now, it looks like, is we stand on the sideline just throw rocks at everybody. Oh, I don't agree with you. You're evil. If you're different from me, if you don't like what I say, if you don't like what I think, you're an evil person, and I'm just going to disregard you. That's what the woke gang has taught us to do. We have a whole generation now, you understand, that they've signed on to the woke thing. They've signed on to the self-identity thing. It doesn't matter who they really are. Biologically, it makes no difference. If I want to be a snail and I identify and tell you I'm really a snail, you don't have a right to disagree with me. I can be anything and anybody I want to be. All I got to do is just say it and you've got to honor it. I will never forget when back in the, I guess the 80s and the 90s, when the normalization of homosexuality began to sweep the nation. And let me tell you how I went into it. This is a very sensitive topic, I know. But let me tell you how I went into it. Homosexuality, if you, if you read the Bible, it's, it's, it's not good. 
period. And I'll, I'm not going to do it on the show live, but I'll be glad to sit down and have a one-on-one conversation with somebody that wants to normalize it to me. And let me tell you this, we have homosexuality in our, in our family. And the people that are involved, I love them. I've been a part of this family now for 48 years. And we have a mutual respect for each other. I do. But I said this at the very beginning of this. You know, that's between them and their creator. It's none of my business. But it it really becomes our business. And this is not just about homosexuality. It's about any ideology. And boy, there's a new one, maybe two or three that pop up every day, isn't it? I mean, it's just nuts. Every day, something new's thrown out there. It's like a bomb, and it explodes, and then everybody takes sides. Instead of just being Americans, just being the greatest country in world history, what do we do? We get on the sidelines and start throwing rocks and screaming and hollering at each other. Like, that's going to do any good. We're going to get anywhere with that. DeSantis weighed in on this issue. He's, I'm pretty sure he's going to announce that he's going to run this week for president. And of course, you know what his response was. <laughs> he basically went nuts. <laughs> and he made it very clear, the NAACP, what they said, what they were intimating was factual. It is not factual. But this just illustrates one more time, we are a divided nation. And you know, you remember the George Floyd riots and stuff that happened up in Minneapolis, all the buildings burning, people's lives were destroyed economically, people that had saved their money. I I remember one couple, I'll never forget them, African-American couple, and they had saved all their money and they had put together a coffee shop. They built it, built out a building, had all the equipment in it, and were ready to start it. The man had been a fireman. He retired. They were ready to start a new chapter in their life and their business, brand new, before they opened it. All the money they had put into it, a coffee shop, all the equipment, everything, freezers, refrigerators, furniture, bar. They had it stocked, ready to go burned to the ground. They lost everything. Just thinking something's okay destroys many times people's lives. When you don't embrace the truth, when you don't accept the truth, you're going to accept something in its place. Coming out of the Minneapolis stuff, the George Floyd stuff, that was the very beginning of the attack on the rule of law on police, the defund the police movement. And the haters around the United States were fed by people like George Soros who can't stand law enforcement. And he makes it very clear and has for decades. The way to destroy a democracy is to destroy law enforcement, the ability to hold citizenry accountable for their illegal actions. Does that sound a little bit like what we're looking at here in the United States. Chip Roy, a Republican from Texas, he's very vocal about a lot of things. I love to listen to him talk when he's on the floor of the House, like right here. 
quote, it wasn't an accident. Policing in our country is inherently and intentionally racist. Duante Wright was met with aggression and violence. I am done with those who condone government-funded murder. No more policing, incarceration, and militarization. It can't be reformed. Thus said Congresswoman Tlaib, who was just down here talking about this. Congressman Omar, you can't really reform a department that is rotten to the root. That is the truth of what my colleagues on the other side of the aisle think about law enforcement. The gentleman from Massachusetts is down here besmirching the 21 members of our body who said no to the politicization of Capitol Police. You want to know why it's not here? Because my colleagues on the other side of the aisle want to turn Capitol Police into political pawns. That's the truth. We had a resolution in the last Congress, H.R. 1085. I voted for it, giving a congressional gold medal to the brave men and women of Capitol Police who stood here on January 6th. But then, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, they didn't want to leave it there. They then had another resolution, a mere two months later, when they wanted to play politics. They're playing political games. Instead of honoring our men and women in law enforcement, Democrats played political games on a different tragedy, April 2nd, 2021, when Officer Billy Evans was killed and Officer Kenneth Shaver was injured by a man obsessed with the Nation of Islam who slammed his vehicle into the north barricade of the U.S. Capitol complex. That didn't fit the narrative. That didn't fit the narrative of my Democratic colleagues. See, they want to be able to come down here and make claims that they're defunding the police that we are because we dare to stand up and say we should have fiscal responsibility and set a top-line cap. My colleagues on the other side of the aisle want to besmirch Republicans for cutting out all manners of programs. But they bring no solutions for the American people about ending the $32 trillion of debt, destroying the dollar, causing inflation, undermining jobs, destroying our country. They know exactly what they're doing, and they're doing it on purpose. But we're going to stand with the men and women of blue across this country. That's what this resolution is about. It's about standing with them and my colleagues on the other side of the aisle spent every waking moment undermining them saying we should defund them when there were riots on the streets and our cities were burning to the ground. My Democratic colleagues didn't care. They allowed it to happen. They knew exactly what they were doing, and that's what this is about. I would add this. My father carries a card around with him. He's 80 years old. That card was given to him by his father, a chief of police of a small West Texas town. It's called Jackie, the son of a hard-boiled cop. You think I'm a hard-boiled copper for writing a mere 43. Well, perhaps I'm thinking of Jackie and all that he meant to me. How's that? Tell you all about it. Well, stranger, the boy was my son. Gentleman's time is expired. Uh, I 30 yield seconds. Uh, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. To the, uh, God, what I'd give to hear daddy once more when the day's work is done. The driver was just in a hurry. He didn't intend any harm. But the sun and stars quit shining when I picked up my boy's lifeless form. Well, mister, I'll tear up this ticket. I don't want to pinch anyone, but I'd ride this motor through hellfires to protect another man's son. So the next time you feel like speeding or passing a boulevard stop, just pause and remember my Jackie, the son of a hard-boiled cop. My dad carries it with him to this day, 80 years old. My colleagues on the other side of the aisle want to play politics with cops. They can do it on somebody else's dime. I yield back. Wow. That is probably 
the most insane bit of ideology that has come from the left. And they're trying to change the narrative, as they always do, accusing Republicans of wanting to defund the police. I don't know of a single case where that could be true. But again, truth doesn't matter when it comes from left stream media. It's all ideological. What fits the narrative of the day? I mean, that's why it's okay to identify as a dog now or a pig. Who would want to self-identify as a pig? And if you get caught up in all this, you'll just lose your mind. But people are making choices now in dramatic fashion. Did you know that New York City has lost half a million residents over the last two years? Now, this is according to the U.S. Census Bureau data. The Census Bureau data shows population estimates for mid-2022. It finds that fewer than 8.4 million residents are living today in New York City, still making the Big Apple the nation's most populous city by uh, several million, but down from two years ago. In April of 2020, the very start of the Chinese virus, we can call it that, the Chinese COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. More than 8.8 million lived in New York City. This figure indicates a population loss of more than 5% from April of 2020 to July of 2022, with almost half a million people leaving the Big Apple. Americans moving out of these deep blue cities is widespread. Austin's one of them. Los Angeles is one of them. Chicago. I mean, here are the numbers. Second largest city, L.A., and the third largest city, Chicago, they all lost residents over the course of the same two years. In L.A., about 3.8 million residents remain in the city as of July 2022 compared to 3.9 million in April of 2020. They lost about 100,000 people. Chicago had about 2.6 million residents in July of 2022, but back in April of 2020, they had about 3% more over two years right at 85,000 residents left Chicago. So what's going on? In addition to crime and social unrest following racial riots in some of these cities, housing prices, a major drive for Americans to leave one area for another. As the real estate site Redfin recently noted, only four major cities in the U.S. have home prices that are cheaper than rent prices. Detroit, Philadelphia, Cleveland, and Houston. Think about that. Home prices are cheaper than rent prices in only four of our major cities, Detroit, Philadelphia, Cleveland, and Houston. Mass immigration helps send housing prices soaring. This was something nobody expected. Cities like New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, all of which have declared themselves sanctuary cities that offer public benefits to illegals, they're now inundated annually by illegal and legal immigration, which in turn raises home prices, raises rents too. And it's because they're coming in illegally and the government won't hold them accountable. And so innocent Americans, some not even Americans yet, Some have legally immigrated here and are now citizens. They're paying more for housing just because the Biden administration refuses 
to enforce immigration law. That's just one more little chink in the armor for President Biden when he's out there asking voters to send him back for four more years. And then we have this new thing, the reparations push. This one, it just blows my mind. This battle over reparations is growing across the country. Now local, state, and federal officials are weighing everything up to seven-figure direct payments for black Americans. Some of its advocates call it a long overdue policy addressing a history of oppression. Its foes call it a misguided, divisive, and harmful approach. It just escalates issues rather than solves a single one. Polls. Now, here we go. What do the American people think about it? It's broadly unpopular with Americans. But nevertheless, it's received serious attention in both Washington and its cities around the country. Representative Cori Bush, she's the really activist Democrat rep from Missouri, alongside several other progressive lawmakers. They unveiled the Reparations Now resolution last week. It calls for $14 trillion in reparations for black Americans. $14 trillion. Bush said that the United States has a moral and a legal obligation to provide reparations for the enslavement of Africans and its lasting harm, slavery, on the lives of millions of black people. In this debate, policy experts are divided. Is it feasible? Is it necessary? What do we do? Nobody's got the perfect answer. The reason why we are experiencing this momentum at the moment is because the present is catching up with overdue History. That's according to Cornell William Brooks, who's a professor at the Harvard Kennedy School. And he said this on Fox over the weekend. Reparations, it's about repair. And that may mean a variety of forms of reparations to people who have been harmed in different ways. Children who've been harmed, adults who have been, or the descendants of chattel slaves. But also those who have endured the harm of Jim Crow segregation. Brooks, let me me just explain who he is. You've seen him on these different shows. African-American guy, kind of light-skinned, but he has this really tall, bushy, gray head of hair and a bushy beard, wears glasses. He formerly served as the president and CEO of the NAACP. He said people should not be making money allocations until a larger conversation is had. We want to talk about receipts and price tags before we talk about harm. We don't do that in any other context. He said that when somebody's a victim of a crime, they're first asked about how they were a victim before they talk about monetary value, if there is any. So before we had this big conversation about who and, you know, receipts and checks, let's make sure we have a conversation about who's been harmed and how. My fear is that, as I like to put it, the economic how paralyzes the moral why and we won't get to reparations at all. He's pretty sharp on that count. When they start talking about $14 trillion, do you know 
the total debt in the United States is $32 trillion. I mean, they're talking about 25% of the debt that we already haven't accumulated since we became a nation. They want to do that by just one batch of writing checks. Robert Woodson is a civil rights activist. He opposes reparations. And he says this push is purely political. My most cynical self says that this is more about the elections of 2024 that it's about reparations from 1619. Woodson went viral for slamming reparations on Dr. Phil last month. And he said that reparations would not solve the problems facing the black community today. In order to solve a problem, you got to properly diagnose reparations. That's no answer for the challenges facing larger numbers of blacks in these cities, he said. It's lethal to continue to direct attention away from the critical problems and the challenges facing blacks and reparations is a major distraction. It's a ploy, Woodson said. It's just keeping us all at each other's throats. You know it. You see it every day. The cries of racism have become the default response anytime someone of one skin color has an issue with someone of another skin color. Everybody automatically goes for the race card instead of saying, look, we're different, but we can sit down and work out and find consensus on all these things. That's lost. That's gone. So some cities, some states have already taken action on the reparations thing. Out in California, there are reparations task force that the governor created, $1.2 million in payments to every qualifying black state resident. That was the consensus they came up and offered it to the state government. Here's what they think every black in California should get $1.2 million in payments. Now, keep in mind, when California became a state, there was no slavery. In California, it was gone. It was illegal before they even were made a state. So no Californian was a slave. Evanston, Illinois, has already approved a plan to distribute 25 grand for home repairs or down payments to anybody that's qualified black resident. A proposed plan in San Francisco is estimated to cost over $100 billion. Other cities and other organizations have come up with commissions to study and consider whether to even enact reparations That includes a group of Democrat mayors, mayors organized for reparations and equity. That's what the group is called. Announced a partnership in 2021 to take action. A guy named Jesse Rhodes, who's a political science professor at the University of Massachusetts, he polled Americans about their opinion of reparations. And he said that strides are being made at the local level because of political feasibility. If what we're thinking about in the short run is viability and progress where it's possible, where the community supported, it's most likely to be occurring at the municipal level, not the federal government level. Rhodes helped work on a 2021 poll that found that nearly two-thirds of Americans oppose reparations of any kind. Now, why are you spending so much time on this, Dan? Look, we all need to get a grasp and an understanding of this. It's a really big 
situation. It's happening. It's in our lives. It's in our government right now. And let me tell you, I'm going to warn you about something. We better figure this thing out and come up with some hardcore viable answers for the questions of reparations or it is going to become the number one political weapon to be used against somebody who's of a different political ilk. I promise you, we smell and we're experiencing so much divisiveness now in these current situations. If this conversation continues to go on, it's going to cause more more divisiveness, more separation, and less lack of willingness to work together to define consensus on racial issues. And that's going to carry over into every other issue that any of us have. How do I know that? Human nature. (laughs) I think we all have uh, an idea about human nature and the roles that it plays. Let's just go back to the very beginning of the show today when we talked about the Durham report. We talked about Adam Schiff. We talked about people still out there propping up the fact that there was uncontroverted evidence that Donald Trump colluded with Russia to get elected in 2016. They're still beating that drum. And if this reparations thing continues to roll forward, it's going to be the same thing nastiness, disagreement that turns into hatred for fellow Americans. And I'm tired of that. Let me tell you what we got to do. We got to start holding each other accountable for everything. Good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. If you do it, if you do the time, if you do the crime, pay the time. And that's just exactly what Representative Luna has done about shifty shift, Adam Schiff. Listen to what Luna's doing. Really raises the question about Adam Schiff. You remember when he told the American people he had proof? Representative Anna Paulina Luna filed a motion to expel Representative Adam Schiff from Congress. The Florida Republican filed the motion in the wake of the Durham report, which cast doubt on the idea the FBI should have ever begun its crossfire hurricane investigation into allegations of collusion between former President Donald Trump and the Russian government during the 2016 election. Schiff pushed allegations of Trump-Russia collusion for years and played a major role in the first impeachment of Trump. The Russians offered help, which we know they did. The campaign accepted help, which we know they did. There is circumstantial evidence of collusion. But there is more than circumstantial evidence. I think there's plenty of evidence of collusion or conspiracy. Luna tweeted, Schiff lied to the American people. He used his position on House Intel to push a lie that cost American taxpayers millions of dollars. He is a dishonor to the House of Representatives. She went on to say the Durham report coming out makes him unfit for office and ethics should investigate. What he put America through and openly lied to us, and now it's proven in this as well, it raises a lot of questions about his, just his character, his standing inside of Congress, or whether he should even be in Congress. It didn't take long for Schiff to respond. He tweeted, Breaking news, a MAGA Republican member of Congress just filed a motion to expel me from the U.S. House of Representatives. I stood up to Donald Trump and held MAGA forces accountable. Now they want payback. They'll go after anyone who defends the rule of law. The California Democrat utilized the attack to fundraise for his run for Senate. 
saying nobody stood up to Donald Trump and the extreme MAGA forces more than Adam did. And now MAGA Republicans want payback. Schiff is running to replace Senator Dianne Feinstein in the Senate, going up against Representative Katie Porter and Representative Barbara Lee. Think about it. Think about that you just heard. Here we are, a massive investigation by John Durham. It took years. He was appointed by a Democrat. Go find the facts. And he comes back with evidence, hard evidence, that there was no collusion. But yet, here's one of the leaders in the House of Representatives, Adam Schiff, formerly served on some of the the biggest, most powerful committees when Democrats had the consensus and had the majority in the House. And he's running to replace Dianne Feinstein's position on the United States Senate. Adam Schiff has been caught lying over and over and over again, leaking when he was on the House, oh, I don't, I don't remember which panel it was, one of the big oversight, and they would have a classified hearing. And it had to do with a lot of the Russia collusion crap that was perpetrated that was out there that he's the one, biggest one, that poured gasoline on the fire every day trying to keep it going to get rid of Trump in every possible way. And he wants to step up to the next level of government and for Californians to send him on the other side of the Capitol to be a senator? And yet this guy lies continuously and California voters, they just keep voting for him to go back. Now speaking about what voters want, we've got this illegal immigration thing. And you know, Title 42 ended Friday morning, early, 12.01 midnight, a week ago, over a week ago. And that meant that no longer could... Title 42 be used, which was the health edict put in place by the CDC, which said every illegal that came over could be sent back to their country of origin because we didn't know their COVID-19 status. And there's been a massive flood of illegals that continue to go over the border. We are now not even being told the numbers, but they're coming in by the hundreds of thousands. There will be millions of illegals. When this is over, when it's stopped, and it will be stopped, not by this president, but by the next president, who it's going to be. It's going to be stopped. We're going to find out just how many millions Democrats have brought into this nation. And Americans are not happy about this. 70% of American voters are crying for stricter border policies once they find out about the current level of illegal migration. Now, this is according to a Harvard-Harris poll, Harvard University. Pretty far left, right? 68% of Americans, that includes 73% of swing voting independents, they told these Harvard-Harris pollsters they want stricter border policies once they got the information. Over two and three-quarter million came into the U.S. illegally over just 12 months. Think about that, almost three million people. In 12 months through September of 2022, more than 1.2 million have crossed since then. So we're talking about 4 million, and those are the ones we know about. Given these numbers, should the administration continue 
its current policies or issue new stricter policies to reduce the flow of people coming across the border? That's what the question was asked. Still, 48% of Democrats said they favor the way it is. The number is likely high because many Democrats defer to their political leaders. This poll happened May 17th through 18th. 2,004 registered voters. And this poll was supervised by three pollsters. Mark Penn, chairman of the Harris Poll, Drayton Nisho, the CEO of Harris X, and Stephen Ansibalieri, the former director of Harvard University Center for American Political Studies. Pretty credible people. The prompt question is useful because few Americans know about the scale of our illegal migration. And again, that's according to the polls. Our media establishment, they don't want the people to hear the facts. They rarely report the total annual inflow of illegal migrants or even the annual inflow of 1 million legal migrants and about 1 million temporary visa workers. We let more people into our country legally every year than all the other countries on the planet do in legal immigration to their countries. We take in an average of a million legally that become citizens and another million that are getting temporary visa workers permits here. Instead, most media reports focus on migrants' concerns and they refer to thousands of migrants. That's largely hidden Biden's welcome for roughly four and a half million Southern migrants. Two million each year of his presidency so far. The polls showed that 56% of those that were polled wrongly believed the inflow was less than 500,000 a year. That's kind of missing it pretty significantly, don't you think? What's that old adage I've told you again and again? If you want things to change, you don't like the way something's happening, there's one thing you can do to change it. What is that? You got to change it. What do you mean, Dan? What's making what you don't like? What's making it change from the way it was when you liked it? It's because the process is changing. Whoever's making the choices and the decisions, it's changing. If it doesn't change, if the process and the elements that are part of it don't change, don't expect different outcomes. You're going to get the same thing every time if you do the same thing every time. And I mean, you can take that little tidbit and you can put it in any part and every part of your life. you got a relationship problems? You want to change your relationship? Change what's in it now. Do something different. Quit doing something. Whatever is necessary, have the chutzpah, the desire, and exert the energy to make it better instead of just letting it slide. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Wow. Busy day, huh? (laughs) Don't forget tomorrow morning, instead of 10 a.m. Central, Steve Baker will join us at the top of the show at 9. Till then, have a great day. See you tomorrow morning.
Say 